Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it reads, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were in nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive again with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Blessing to be together. I love that scripture right there. And what we have this morning is a picture and description of what is God's grace. And right now we've been going through a series of lessons. We started last week on our passage, our reading from this morning in 2 Corinthians, about God's grace throughout times of weakness. And that is his providential grace and how God has given us all things to be a blessing for us. And even in our times of weakness and trials and insults and calamities, God's grace is there to strengthen us. This morning, we want to look very specifically to a very particular type of grace. We want to look at grace, that is the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes I think we might hear the word grace and think, what is that? I hear people talk about grace, and sometimes I hear people talk about grace because it's a way for them to say, you know what, I think I'm going to sin a little bit, and I'm going to chalk up grace right here and leave that to God. That's not God's grace. And we're going to look next week at the limitations of God's grace and that you cannot continue to sin so that grace will abound. And the Bible teaches us that. Today, we're going to be asking some very important questions and defining and looking at the subject of what is God's grace. So what is so amazing about grace? Again, that scripture we just had read from us that David read to us is amazing. A, a beautiful concept there of what God has done for us. We're going to take a closer look at it. When you look at yourself and you realize, I was once dead in sins, I needed forgiveness, and the wages of sin is death, and all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, I need God's grace. I need forgiveness. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ who would also been, be forgiven in a way so they can forgive me and I can forgive them. So grace is amazing. And we need to stand in awe of what God has done through Jesus Christ and understand how we have his favor and make sure that we're not misusing this concept. I hope this morning we get a, that definition as we read the scriptures that will say God's grace is amazing. And it is that grace that saves me. Very specifically this morning, we're looking at the subject of grace in the sense of forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
And some people have this strange kind of forgiveness today. Sometimes you see on the, on the news, somebody, something's happened to somebody's family, and the other family members have said after that person has passed away, maybe it was a car accident, well, I forgive them. Sometimes I wonder what they mean by it, because there's this concept going around where there's this, this selfish kind of forgiveness, where it's, I'm not going to be thinking about you anymore. I'm going to put you out of my mind and forget that you did this horrible thing to me, and I'm going to try to get on with the rest of my life. That's not really the concept of grace in the Bible, where it's all about you letting go of something. The Bible teaches that grace and God's forgiveness is when God lets that off of you, when it's been released from you, when the sins have been washed away from you. We need to have that concept. So when we come to the point where we're saying, I forgive somebody, it's not like, yeah, I've gotten over you. No. When we say we forgive, we need to forgive in a way in which God tells us to forgive, the way in which the Scriptures tell us to forgive. And that is, I see that you didn't mean this, that you did it out of ignorance, that you repented, and I forgive you. And not for me as much as also for you that I don't want to be in held against you. I certainly don't hold it against you. And I want to forgive the way that God has forgiven me. And God's grace is amazing. When we think about the subject of his forgiveness this morning. We want to look a little bit more into some of those details. The next question here is, what, what person or which person knows the most about God's forgiveness? And every time we talk about God's forgiveness, I can't help but going back to the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears in Luke chapter 7. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, who is it that forgives more? The, the one who has a little bit of debt, who owes this little bit of debt, or who owns, owes the great amount of debt? And Peter says, well, I suppose the one who's forgiven of the greater amount of debt. And it's not for us to be saying, well, I only need to be forgiven a little bit and somebody else has been forgiven a lot more than me. Jesus' point was is that the one who's been forgiven of more is going to love more. And when we realize, when we look at our life, and I don't know how you look at it, but you might say, of the 50 sins I committed, I thank God that he forgave me, and I'm able to love him for that. But it's not as great as others. We need to look at our sins as, as great, that is, and the consequences, the death, and what God has saved us from and stand in awe of him and his forgiveness and allow that to be able to say, I was dead in my sins and God's love has been manifested and in grace. And so I'm able to love him more. The more I realize the greatness of my sin and what it has done to me to keep me from God and to separate me from him and how he has redeemed me and reconciled me through Jesus Christ, the more I'm going to love him. So grace is very important in that sense. I want to love God more. And the Bible says, if I love God, I'm going to keep his commandments. And sometimes people say, well, I love God, but there's some things I do, and I don't know why I do them, but I keep doing them. I would encourage you, you're going to look at some passages this morning that will tell us what we need to do is to grow in our knowledge of God's grace. Realize how much he's forgiven us. Grow in our love in that sense. Now listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. I want you to look at this carefully because you see the gospel in this message. All right, so we're looking for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, God's grace in that saving act. Pay attention, look at here. Chapter 2, 4 through 7. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead 
in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. In other words, we're dead. We can't do anything for ourselves. But Christ has come while we were dead, dead in our sins, our trespasses. And I wonder sometimes how Christians view themselves before they became, before they were baptized. Did you see yourself as dead, dead in sin, needing a new life? And then it says, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been made alive. That spiritual life has begun. And you notice that picture right there. And where does that happen throughout the Scriptures? What well, happens in the moment of baptism? I died of my sins and been buried with Him, and I rise up in the newness of life. Here it is as a partaking of God's grace. We're going to see another Scripture about that. By grace you have been saved, by God's favor toward you. Not that you had done anything. And He says He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Christ right there is our mediator. He's at the right hand of God speaking on our behalf, interceding to God for us. That's the power of Christ and His grace. It says, so that coming in ages, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we need to look at God's forgiveness in that way, that it is immeasurable. Some observations about this. What stands out to me also in this text is you see God's nature. You see our Creator for who He is. You see his righteousness, his loving, his kindness for us, his loving nature. And this is what, again, the text says, that God is rich in mercy. So we're talking about grace. We are talking about God's mercy. I need his mercy. I am a sinner and I'm condemned and lost without him. God, be merciful upon me. Mercy is a part of his grace. We see this as well, that God loves humanity with a great love. That's the description. His great love. That's where salvation comes from. That's where the forgiveness of sins comes from. It's not something that God set in order and said, I'm going to set up this system and you just go along with it. And and as though God had no feeling behind it or no commitment. It comes from his great love. And we see this as well, that God's grace shows the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. We see God's kindness there extending abundantly. We also notice this, back up a little bit here in Ephesians 2. We get the definition of God's grace, His forgiveness, what He has done for us. We see the state that we're in. And oftentimes we're in a Bible study, you're talking to somebody. It seems like the world has no concept of a need for their God and Creator. They forget about that. We got people today, again, that the old idea is, I'm a good person, good people go to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. And therefore, the implications of that is, I don't really need God. That's what they're saying. And I really don't need Christ because I've done it all on my own. And God's grace demonstrates that that is contrary to that belief. God had to send his son to die for us. I want you to listen to this. The verse is right before that where it says that we were dead in our trespasses. We've been made alive. How are we dead in our sins? This is what Paul says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I wonder about Christians who don't look at what God has done for them and how he has saved, for them, saved them and do not realize I was dead. I am dead without him. I am nothing without him. Condemned, I'm separated from God and I will go into eternal destruction apart from him. Now we were dead in our trespasses and sins and this is what Paul says. He says, fall in the course of the world. We're just going along, following with the flow, the mainstream, whatever everybody else was doing. 
fallen the prince of the power of the air, and that's what it seems like. Sin is everywhere. It's like a, an airborne virus infecting people. They breathe it in, they take it in, and they live however they feel like. He says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that is that prince of the power of the air. We know who he's talking about, and Satan, his work. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of flesh. Notice the word all here. We've all done it. We all live by the passions of flesh. We all were dead. And it says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Paul's pleading with him, look at where you've come from. This is what the world was like. This is where you've come from. This is how you've been saved. This is God's grace. And don't be boasting in yourself that you've saved yourself. You can't go around and say, I, I boast in the fact, well, I've repented or I've been baptized and I did it on my own, or I've kept a certain system or kept a certain list of laws or commands, but that it has come from God. Toward the end of Ephesians 2 in that little section of Scripture right there, he gives again a picture of God's grace. And Paul says this. He describes the grace as a gift. It is not earned. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now you believe that Jesus Christ came, that he is God in the flesh, that he died for you to save you from your sins. Not simply to kind of stamp your ticket and say, all right, your passport's good, you can head up to heaven. That's not in the concept of God's grace. You didn't have any way without Christ. And Paul says, and this is not of your own doing. It's not of your own work. And it's not the only passage of Scripture that describes God's grace as a gift and affirms to us it's not by our own works. It says, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. And I find that picture beautifully presented, as Paul said before, in the gospel. And when I die to his sins, I've been buried with him, and I come out. There's no working of my own in that. When I repent for my sins, that's God's plan and him working through the gospel and through faith, that I know that I need to die to that person, that I, that I believe so strongly that I want to be saved. And so when we're baptized, it's a passive act. Nobody baptizes themselves. Someone else in the faith will immerse you, and you come up out of that water, and you've been immersed and buried with Christ. It's a perfect picture of God's grace. You bury that old man, and you rise up in the newness of life. And he says here, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And sometimes I, I kind of hear that. You hear brethren talk about, you know, I, I keep this list of commands, we do these exact same things, and I can save myself. There's no room for boasting for us in this. In fact, the last verse here, look at here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God does this in a way. He, he saves us by grace because that grace should compel us to change our life, change the way that we live, cause us to do great works, to demonstrate the glory of God. In Ephesians 2, and verse 10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship. In other words, God's created us. He's made us who we are. He says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been risen up with Christ. We've become new creations for this purpose, to do good, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has blessed us, given us the right way. And when we get a picture, that's the definition of God's grace, his forgiveness there, and it happens through the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That we rise up into the newness of life 
from baptism to start life anew, created for his own workmanship to do wonderful things. And the fact is the Bible teaches us that grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness and sin. If you don't have a concept and understanding of God's grace and his love, I don't know how you're going to withstand sin and temptation. If you don't know God's forgiveness and the riches of his mercy, what will you do? Listen to what Paul says to Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, very specifically in Christ, bringing salvation to all people. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved, and God wants all to be saved, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. And what does that grace do? It says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. I'm saved. I didn't do it on my own, but I became a Christian when I believed, and I confess that faith that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he rose from the dead. I died to the sins of the world. I didn't want them anymore. I didn't want a part of it anymore. And I wanted eternal life that God gives me, that Christ gives me. So I was buried in baptism and rose in the newness of life. That's all God's work and His grace, all of His plan, and all of that training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It tells us this. This is what we're being taught by God's grace. Don't go back again to the sin. You've been saved from it. Don't go back to the evil that has separated you from God and brought death upon you. But it is this. It teaches us, you've been saved from it, stay away from it. And so it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Why? Because by God's grace, he says here, waiting for a blessed hope. What's that hope of eternal life? To live in paradise with God and in his glory. We want that. We want the resurrection on the final day. We're waiting for that blessed hope. And he says here, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he comes back. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all. Notice this. Notice what we're redeemed from and saved from. Not some of the sins, but all lawlessness. And why does God do this? It's just what we read in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. He makes his own people for his own workmanship. And listen why he did it here. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we can examine ourselves this morning and say, do I realize what God has done for me? Has his grace changed me? Has his forgiveness of my sins changed me completely that I want to be purified, that I will renounce the world and ungodliness and lawlessness? I think one of the big questions we can ask here as well is, am I zealous for good works? Am I zealous for good works? If I know the grace of God, I'm going to be zealous for good works. I know that I'm a part of his body and who God wants me to be and intended me to be when he saved me by grace. Another important thing, and we've seen it already, is that grace and the gospel intersect. So we hear the world today tell us, oh, I'm saved by grace. I don't need to be at church on Sunday morning. I don't need to be a part of the church. I don't need to be participating in these different things. I I can live however I want to. I can... uh, have sex outside of marriage. I could do whatever I want. I can list a whole list of sins, live a life of drunkenness, and they'll say God's grace will cover it. That is not God's grace. That is not the grace that we see in the Scriptures that tells us to renounce those things. What we see is a, a union between what Christ has done for us, how he died for us. Because believers are saved by grace, then why is the gospel God's power for salvation? Well, the two are not exclusive. They harmonize. We have access to God's forgiveness through the gospel. Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also the Greek. We need to know what that message is, the gospel. Right here in 1 Corinthians 15, you have a fundamental understanding of what the gospel is. And notice here in the text, he says, I want to remind you of this, the gospel that I preached to you. And I know that we've read this many times. He says, but you, this is what you received in the very beginning. And not only did you receive it, you stand on it. And not only do you stand on this gospel, you're saved by it. This is where salvation comes from. And then he says, if you hold fast to it. See, God's grace is, uh, some people today say you can't fall from God's grace, but the word if right here implies that many people can reject it and go away from it. And that was Paul's concern in writing 1 Corinthians 15. People were rejecting what Jesus had done and the eternal life that resulted from it in the final resurrection. And I could preach another sermon on that. But look right here. He says, hold on fast to the word which he preached to you. He says, for I delivered it to you. And notice what he says. He calls it a first importance. This is what you heard from the beginning. This is what your faith is based on. This is where God's grace comes to you through. It's a first importance what Jesus did for you. He died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The Bible predicted it, the Scriptures before, that Jesus would die, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. When we believe that, we need to see God's grace in it. I think this is a very important Scripture right here. I'll show you why in a moment. See if you see the word grace in it. I think I've shown this to you before, but here's the gospel pattern. We see this throughout the New Testament. Us dying to sin, be buried in baptism, and ride us up in the newness of life. And Paul says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. Notice that when you've been raised out of baptism in the newness of life, it's God's working, not you. He says, Who raised him from the dead? Yes, it's God who raised Christ from the dead, and he raises us as well. Look at verse 13. And you who were once dead in your trespasses. There's a lot of parallels from this verse to Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. We've been saved when we have obeyed the gospel. We know the work of God. We are saved from all of our trespasses. Where's the word for grace here? It's right here. This word right here is the word charizomai. The Greek word for, in Greek for grace, is choris. And here's the verb form of it. Now, now, usually the word for forgiveness is apoluo, and there's another word, this word, aletheia, that has the idea of releasing it and letting sin go. This is the extent of God's grace. Here you are, you've been buried with him. You're raised up with him through faith. It's God's working. You're saved through the death, uh, your, your death and sins. And God has made you alive, and here is grace in its first form, forgiving us of all sin. We understand, understand God's grace is right there in the gospel. I think that's fundamental for next week when we study this subject right here. This question comes right out of Romans chapter 6. Beginning of Romans 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, we sin as Christians. We turn to our Father in heaven we ask him for forgiveness, and he washes away our sins. First John tells us that. But Paul emphasizes you cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. In fact, what's he say right after this? Most of us have this verse memorized. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in, in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? Or this cannot be. Or this, the Bible says it right there. This is not possible. 
So our plea today is we do need to realize that it's God who has saved us and we cannot save ourselves. And that the grace of God is actively, when it comes to our sins, washing away all of our sins. And the Bible tells us in 1 John, after you become a Christian in chapter 1, in verses 5 through 10, he says, as long as you walk in the light and confess your sins to the Father, the blood of Christ will wash away all of your sins, all of them. And that's what makes grace so amazing. To think about all of your sins being washed away. The things you feel most guilty for, the things that you hold on the most to, that even you struggle to let go of. I encourage you this morning, if you're still holding on to a sin, but you've repented, the Bible tells you, you as a Christian, that God has forgiven you of that sin. And he's forgiven you. There's no reason for you to not have forgiven yourself. Probably a sin in that as well. Not accept what God has done for you. This morning we see God's grace. We see it in what Christ has done for us. We were dead, hopeless, without sin, without hope in this world. But we've been saved now. That is, if we've been baptized, we continue to walk in the light. I encourage you as well as we learn, grace is to motivate us to not sin. The question here is, will you continue to learn to renounce evil from God's forgiving grace or by his grace? The more that we study what Christ does for us, the more that we open our Bible and study it, it will compel us. I know how much God loves me. I know what he's done. and I'm going to put an end to the life that I've been living. We encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, become one. You need prayers and encouragement and the state of life that you're in. We want to pray with you. So we give you an invitation right now. You can come forward and let us pray with you. You can find another member in this congregation, one of our elders or myself, one of our deacons. We'd love to pray with you. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, if you haven't risen up with Christ in baptism, you do not know his grace yet. And you are dead in your trespasses without him. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. This morning, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, you need encouragement, you need prayers, come to God, accept his grace, allow that grace to change you. Whatever you need to be, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.